Uh, you know that we are going through uh, a series, a short series on the book of Colossians. So we are now on chapter 3. We're actually completing uh, chapter, uh, the book today. Okay, so I'm going to touch a little bit on chapter 4, but we are going to conclude uh, the, the series today. And chapter 3, if you are familiar uh, with, with the book, uh, with the letter of Coloss in Colossians, uh, chapter 3 is full of practical reminders. So if chapter 1 is all about who Christ is, how he is supreme over everything, and chapter 2 is about when uh, Pastor John, uh, he said that Christ changes everything, that means everything in all of our lives. What, but what does that mean to us when we go to work on Monday? When we go to our classes uh, you know, tomorrow, what does that look like? And you know, the title of the sermon today is Ordinary Commitments That Can Change Everything. Ordinary Commitments That Can Change Everything. You know, in the 1980s, there's a movie that I really liked uh, called The Karate Kid. Uh, and that uh, movie was actually remade. Uh, and, you know, uh, it was remade with Jackie Chan and Will Smith's uh, son, right? Do you, do you remember that? But the original is The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio and Mr. Miyagi, right? So this is a story about a kid who's being bullied uh, all the time because he's scrawny, he's, uh, you know, he's not very uh, enforcing. So you know, just to protect himself, he wants to learn karate because this Mr. Miyagi protected him from being bullied further. So he sought this Mr. Miyagi and said, I want to learn, I want to learn karate, I want to defend myself. So Mr. Miyagi said, Okay, I'll, I'll teach you, uh, but first, clean my floor. <laughs> clean my floor, wax my floor, paint my fences, uh, top to bottom, left, left to right. So there's a point in the movie that, you know, Daniel-san, <laughs> Daniel-san said, what are you trying to do? You're just trying to slave, uh, you know, to slave drive me. I'm not learning karate. You're just giving me chores to work. I'm giving you uh, free labor and I'm not learning karate. And then, you remember that wax on, wax off. <laughs> so paint the fence up and down, paint the fence left and right. So dun pala sa training na yun, the ordinary habits that uh, Daniel-san is doing is actually a training for what he is supposed to do. He didn't realize that. He didn't realize that he's actually being trained already for, for the big leagues, for the big thing. So I, I'm not going to tell, tell the, story, the, the whole story anymore. But it's, it's like that. You know, the ordinary uh, habits that Mr. Miyagi is trying to do. In fact, right now, it's a phrase already. You know, you Miyagi'd me. <laughs> it means you're training me without me knowing. Yeah, so you can use that. You have my permission to use that. Uh, you Mr. miyagi me. <laughs> so a lot of people here in this church, Mr. miyagi me um, uh, in, in the ministry. Uh, of course, you know, the, one of the pictures there at the topmost uh, picture, 
the greatest basketball player of all time, arguably. <laughs> but yeah, he, this guy is the greatest of all time. He changed uh, the landscape of, of NBA. And because he's, he's so famous everywhere, even here in the Philippines, a lot of people tried to copy him. Why, how were people, how were young people copying Michael Jordan? They play with tongue out, <laughs> trying to grip the basketball in one hand, trying to jump uh, and try to dunk the ball on the free throw line as if you can do that. You know, we're trying to mimic, you know, the externals of the, the flashy things and we didn't realize that even Michael Jordan himself said, I missed more shots than I made them. I failed many times in my life, that's why I succeed. That he spent a lot of time on the uh, training himself and failing over and over again, which is why it led to, to him becoming you know, six-time uh, NBA uh, MVP, finals MVP, the greatest of all time. <laughs> but then there's this guy again. Uh, this one is the, the, the gener the, our generation, generational player, Steph Curry. Don't worry, this will be my, uh, my quota na ako sa basketball references. <laughs> so this will be my last for the year. So Steph Curry, like he changed the game again. He changed the game. If, if uh, Michael Jordan changed the game everywhere uh, with defense and everything, scoring, uh, Steph Curry changed the basketball in scoring the ball. And people copied him again. You know, a lot of high school students now try to copy what he is doing. And anong ginagawa niya? How is he, you know, playing basketball? He's just amazing in shooting the ball, right? And like he's shooting the ball from halfway down the court. So you're seeing a lot of people, you're seeing a lot of college students right now just cross halfway off the basketball court, throwing the basketball court midway and just hoping that he's Steph Curry and shoot the basketball. You know, a lot of people see the highlights and we try to copy them, but we don't realize that Steph Curry had two major surgeries before he became the unanimous NBA MVP. That he trained himself over and over and over again and he committed himself to making sure that when he releases the ball in his hands, he's going to make it. What I want to share with you is that followers of Jesus are called to ordinary commitments that can change everything. Change your life, change your relationships, and change the society that you are in. When I say ordinary, I do not mean easy, right? It's ordinary, but it's not easy. And you will see uh, later on that it's really not uh, easy. You know, you don't have to be super gifted to make these commitments. You don't have to be super talented to make uh, commitments like this. You don't have to have 
uh, a good theological background to make these commitments, what you need is to have a relationship with Christ. So this is how we are going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to study the whole chapter in one verse uh, in chapter 4. But let me just read a portion of it. I'll just read uh, verses 12 until 17. Okay, I'll, I'll read Colossians 3, 12 to 17, but we are going to study the whole chapter. Let me read, and I'm reading from the ESV Bible. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word, or indeed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pause and ask the Lord's help in prayer. Father, we thank you because of your providence we have here in our hands your word that lasted centuries, Lord God, for us to, to see how it will shape our lives. We thank you that your word is sufficient to teach us, to rebuke us, to admonish us, and to equip us with every good work. We recognize, Lord God, that when your word is proclaimed, it is you who is speaking, and it is your presence that is felt. So we submit ourselves to you, Lord God, as your people, that we are on ears to you. Let our hearts cling to you today. Let your spirit, Lord God, move in our midst that we will be reminded of the things that are concerning Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that as we hear and be reminded of these ordinary commitments that you will cause our hearts to desire these things in, in our lives and in our families. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let me just give you three commitments that can change everything. Three commitments that can change everything. Commitment number one is a commitment to Christ-centered perspective. A commitment to Christ-centered perspective. Verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, keep this in mind, you know, verse 1 is the premise of the whole thing. This is the whole premise of the whole chapter. 
if you have been resurrected in Christ, if you have been, uh, if you have been died, buried, and resurrected in Christ, meaning you have the resurrection life because of your union with Jesus, this is what you are what you ought to do. Ano yun? You are to seek the things that are above. Why will you do it? Why are you going to look on uh, seek the things that are above? Because that's where Christ is. That's where Christ is. And He is seated at the right hand of God. Because He is seated at the right hand of God. Ano ibig sabihin nun? Chilling lang ba? Is, is Jesus just chilling there? You know, no, that means He is ruling everything which is what we have learned in chapter 1 again paul uh, mentions it again verse 2 set your minds on the things that are above not on the things that are on earth you know i will never forget the time i climbed uh, mount pulag i will not forget that because that's my first and only time <laughs> mountaineering so i will not forget that i'm not a mountaineer as you know uh, i'm more into the sea <laughs> so when my friends invited me to do that that's maybe more than 10 years ago so i don't have any equipment i don't have a bag i don't have shoes i don't have a tent i don't have anything that involves mountaineering so everything was borrowed so of course if you're borrowing something you cannot expect you know the the best things right so i got the the ugliest bag <laughs> i got the the worn out kind of bag the heaviest equipment the bag that doesn't uh, close so when it rained everything all my uh, equipment was wet and i don't know why you know i i was i, I was mountaineering with uh, people who, who've been there maybe once or twice or doing this as a hobby um, Maybe it's my fault that I didn't say that I'm a first-timer So they said we'll do the the most difficult trail in Mount Pulaj What? <laughs> so And I was carrying the heaviest bag The kilos of rice was in my bag the portable uh, Cooking equipment was in my bag, and I'm the first timer. <laughs> uh, and it was a, a I would tell you, um, so you're seeing the picture there. It's really, when you're, when you're there, it feels like heaven. But going there is hell. <laughs> Especially the trail that we use. Alam to definitely ni Kuya Bong. It's called the Akiki Trail, and it's uh, normally going to Mount Pulag will take you a day maybe less than a day you're there already if you use this trail you need to spend two nights in the mountain spend two nights in the mountain so it's heaven but it's really hell going going up you know every 50 steps that i take i i, I say i, I want to quit i don't want to carry on and what, you know what helped me um, aside from pride <laughs> You know, I, I always look up and focus on the highest point that I can see. I was looking up 
And if I'm seeing the highest point and I will say, if I just reach that, I'm okay. So I did that. After a few minutes, I reached that point and I realized it's still not yet the, the peak. Then I still look at the highest peak and I, and I say, if I reach that, I'll be okay. If I reach that, I'll be okay. If I reach that, I'll be okay. And I did that over and over and over until we reached the summit. How does Christ-centered perspective help us change everything when we are looking up? Let me give you three ways. It changes the way we view our past failures. It changes the way we view our past failures. Paul says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7 says, In these, you too once walked you were, when you were living in them. If you are looking up to Christ, and if you are seeing from His perspective, you know, we can be honest with our past. We don't have to make an alibi. We don't have to justify it. We can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we see things from Christ-centered perspective, when people call you out because of your past, you will say, yes, that was me. But, but thank God for Christ. That's no longer me. So it changes the way we view our past failures. It also changes the way we view our present relationships, specifically our present relationships. I'm going to skip to verse 18. This is the practical uh, a reminder of Apostle Paul, verse 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Father, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You know, this is a view of a Christ centered family you know a family that sees things from the perspective of christ ruling their family now if you like a better picture of this you can look at psalm 128 it says there blessed is the man who fears the lord who walks in his ways and this is what his wife looks like and this is what his children looks like and this is what the nation will look like if they fear the Lord and is walking in His way. You see how Paul is saying, you know, wives submit to your husbands because it's fitting in the Lord. Merong ganung description. It says, children, you obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. You don't just submit to your husband's wives 
fathers, you don't just love your children and your wife because you just want to. You see that because Christ loved his church. That's what you see in, in the book of Ephesians. You know, Paul says in, in Ephesians that when he talked about the relationship between a husband and a wife, he said, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a symbol. It is a sign. It's a sign of a greater reality of a relationship between Christ and his church. What about employee-employer relationship? How does Christ-centered perspective see that? Verse 22 says, Bond servants, if you're an employee, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by eye service, because you just want to uh, look good, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Why? Because you fear the Lord. You fear the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving not just your company. You are serving not just your boss. You are not just serving your supervisor. You are serving the Lord, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Listen, if you feel like you are being wronged in your, in your company, if you see that, the, that you are working for the Lord and you are working faithfully, the Lord will do what is right for you and for that company. Ito naman yung para sa mga boss, para sa mga employer. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. So this is chapter 4, verse 1. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So yes, you are an employer. You have people serving you, but you're still serving a greater master. You're serving a greater master. If you see things from the perspective of Christ seated at the right hand of God, ruling everything, you will see yourself serving Him as well, even if people are serving you. So it changes our past, changes our view of the present. It also changes the way we view our future hope. Going back to verse 3. For you died to this life, verse 3 says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. You know, if you are hoping, and I hope that you are desiring to have a good life here. You know, the gospel is about 
you know, really understanding that we are called to fruitfulness. But if you are just hoping for to have the best life now, that's it, then you are missing out on the glorious life in eternity. Let me say that again. If your desire, if your hope is just to have the best life now and nothing else, you are missing out on the glorious life that awaits for us in eternity when Christ returns. You know, what, what this means, the bottom line here is, you know, it changes our perspective with time. It changes the way we see and understand the concept of time. If, if Jesus is king, that's what we have been uh, understanding for the past two Sundays. If Jesus is king, he is not limited by time, right? He does not, you know, he, he is not bound by the way we are bound with time. So we, we can see our timeline in light of eternity. And that's what Paul is, is, is saying in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, you know, what I have been experiencing is light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits for us with Christ. You know, that also means if we see things from the concept of Jesus is king over our timeline, we do not value instant gratification very much. Uh, I've seen this uh, missions report of what God is doing in Bangladesh. And uh, during this missions report, the, the pastor of, uh, in that community in Bangladesh was sharing, it's difficult now to, to be a Christian in Bangladesh. Because as, as some of you would know, in Bangladesh, it's predominantly Muslim, right? It's predominantly Muslim. And so they, they gave a, they released a law that says that if you are going to share Jesus to a Muslim, it's a crime, it's a criminal offense to talk to a Muslim person about Jesus. And if you are caught, you will be jailed for 10 years. Okay? You will be caught for 10 years just talking about Jesus to someone who is Muslim in Bangladesh. Here's what I was surprised with that pastor. He said, when I heard that story, I praised the Lord. What? I praised the Lord. You know why? He said, that's just 10 years. When I get jailed after 10 years, I will talk to people again about Jesus. What's 10 years compared to eternity? When I heard that, I cried. When I don't have any more patience with a two-hour traffic, When we see our timeline, our concept of time, with Jesus seated on the throne, we are reminded of what he said in Revelations, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. 
and anything in between. So if, there's, if you're struggling because there's no movement in your job, if you're, if you're depressed because it's taking you longer to graduate, if you're, if you're impatient because you're waiting for something to happen in your life, if you're finding it difficult you know, to recover from a difficult time, from a heartbreak, from, from trauma, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am involved in your past, present, and future. I am seated at the right hand of God. I am ruling. So commit to a Christ-centered perspective. What that means as followers of Jesus, when we have the resurrected life, we commit to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus, I want to fix my eyes on you because you're the author and per perfecter of my faith. When I wake up this morning, you have placed my 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 destiny already you have seen my past and you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same and my future is secured in your hands that's the first commitment ordinary commitment that can change everything second commitment that can change everything is a commitment to christ motivated holiness christ motivated holiness again the, pro, the the premise here since you are raised in christ you commit to christ motivated holiness you know when we talk about holiness you know half of the people in the church try to look away the other half is not interested because it feels like when when you're talking about holiness it feels like an old-fashioned uh, concept pastor let's not talk about holiness that's maybe for uh, for people in, in, in the monastery let's not talk about uh, those things that's not for us and sometimes we, uh, we equate holiness with with killjoy <laughs> when, can you imagine what holiness looks like can you picture someone that's holy what does that person look like? I will not show a picture because <laughs> You know, that's our concept of holiness. We, equip, we equate it with, you know, not being happy, not being fun. We don't want to be with someone who's holier than us. But the Bible talks about it very often and very direct. Be holy for God is holy. Without holiness, no one will see God, Hebrews says. Here's the bottom line about holiness. It's, it's finding pleasure in something that will not destroy you. Okay? Holiness is finding pleasure in something that will not destroy you. And this involves two actions. It involves 
putting off our old affection and putting on our new affection. Let's talk about putting off our old affection first. Again, uh, in verse 5 uh, to 8 of our chapter, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, two, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Why? Because these things may seem pleasurable at the start, but it will destroy you. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters. Sin will destroy you. That's why, you know, John Owen, uh, a Puritan uh, theologian and, and, and writer, he said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We need to take sin seriously because it will destroy our life. It will destroy our life. It will destroy relationships. It will destroy our ministry. No, but the commitment to holiness is not just abstaining from, you know, from pleasures that will destroy us. It's also retaining new affections from God. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So you put it off, but you have put on the new self, which is renewed, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You know, there's always a, a correlation between Colossians and Ephesians, and this is what you see in Ephesians 4, verse 22. And again, I'm reading from the NLT. Throw off, tanggalin, ang, uh, your old nature and your former way of life, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature created to be in the likeness or in the image of God. And what is that image? That you are truly righteous and truly holy. You know, this is where the motivation to holiness comes in. It is not motivated by self. It is motivated by Christ. Let me tell you the difference. You know, you can be holy, you can pursue holiness, but you're motivated by your desire to be successful, your desire to be good. You are, you are motivated because you are just driven person. And if your holiness is self-motivated, your mantra will be, I want to be the better version of myself. I want to be a better version of myself. And that may sound good, but it will make you proud. It will make you say, I'm a better person than the one I'm sitting uh, in the church. If your holiness is self-motivated, 
your basis for growth is your past self and you will be proud because of how how much improvement you've had and you will be you will be critical of others around you but if your holiness is motivated by Christ katulad nung verse kanina that the 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 goal of holiness is that you are being renewed in the image uh, after the image of your creator your mantra your your cry would be to say you know i desire to be more like christ i desire to be more like christ listen you know this is what it means to be christ motivated holiness the closer you walk towards the light the clearer you see your imperfection let me repeat that the closer you walk towards the light you don't say i'm a better person you see how wretched i am in front of a holy god the closer you walk towards the king your knees bend lower and lower and lower and lower as you walk towards the king you don't say how proud and how good i am you say have mercy on me i am a sinner what will help me what will help us to have these new affections yes we need to abstain from from what will destroy us but what will help us you know replace it with new affections this is what verse 12 says in colossians 3 put on then and this is your description brothers and sisters as god's chosen one holy and beloved to be compassionate hearts put on kindness put on humility put on meekness put on patience you will do that because you are chosen by God you have been made holy and you have you are already loved you know knowing that you have been selected already knowing that you have been set apart knowing that you are loved unconditionally will help you realize that i am deeply loved by my creator and so i want i want to live for him and that will motivate you to do what pleases him to desire him more than the instant gratification that the world gives us you know friends we need to see the gravity of sin my brothers the men here what are you looking at on your phones where do you spend your time
We need to see the gravity of sin and its effect to our soul and in our affection. We cannot take it lightly. We need to see that there is a greater pleasure than the one that sin offers, and it's Christ himself. So we fight for holiness, brothers and sisters. We fight for holiness because what it took to secure our holiness is the Son of God taking our place to receive the wrath of God that we so deserve. And when we are having difficulty in our fight for holiness, we actually have gifts from God. We need to see that repentance is a gift from God. It's not punishment. Repentance is a gift from God. That we can turn around from our sinful ways. You know why it's a gift? Because, you know, it's just right that when we sin, we, we experience punishment immediately. But God, because God is patient with us, He calls us to repentance. Repentance is a gift. Second, confession is a gift from God. I mentioned this uh, before, that confession, you know, some people are scared with confession. Confession, again, is a gift from God. It's coming out in the open and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. So we can receive that mercy. So ex let's experience that gift when we are fighting, uh, you know, fighting for holiness. We can repent. We can confess. And here's one more beautiful gift from God. You don't have to fight for holiness by yourself. You don't have to fight for holiness alone because we have a gift of community. And that leads us to our third and final commitment. It's a commitment to Christ-honoring gathering. Commitment to Christ-honoring gathering. So how do we honor Christ in our gatherings? Three ways. We let the love of Christ abound. We let the peace of Christ rule. And we let the word of Christ dwell. Let me explain that one by one. Actually, I'll let Apostle Paul explain it. Verse 13, let the love of Christ abound. We bear one another in love. And if one has a complaint against another, kung may complain, wag dalhin kay tulfo. Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But above all these, above all the kindness, the meekness, patience, humility, above all of these, put on love because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the love of Christ abound. We honor Christ by when we let the peace of Christ rule. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You know, for many times I read this passage 
And, and I say, maybe Paul made the mistake by inserting and be thankful there. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense. You're talking about letting the peace of Christ rule because you're called into one body and you say, and be thankful. Where does that fit in? I have an opinion, <laughs> just an opinion. I'm just trying to imagine, you know, we have been talking about first uh, uh, Colossians 1 that Christ is the king of reconciliation and what that entails. That I can be thankful for the reconciliation that I receive in Christ and a sinner, an unholy person reconciled to a holy God. If I see things from that story, I can be thankful that I can be reconciled with others as well. So I can be thankful because, you know, I have the, pre the peace of Christ that reconciliation is now possible in the church. The third, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? When you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What does these three things mean? How do we honor Christ when we let the love of Christ abound? We let the peace of Christ rule. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. What does that mean, Pastor? Let me talk first to those who are new here. Okay? If, you are, if you are new uh, in, in Breadcom QC, uh, and when I say new, I, I do not mean you have been attending maybe once or twice or three times. You are new if the only people you know are the people who brought you here. If you have, don't have any other connection outside of the people who brought you here or you, know, you walked in and there are no relationships after that. So you're, that's, that's basically new. And, and I, want to, I want to talk to you first because you know, new people are more sensitive to what you know, the, the culture of the church. So for new people here, I hope that what you notice in this church are these three things. That this is a place where the love of Christ is abounding that this is a place where peacemaking is practiced. Now, I'm not saying, you know, there is no conflict. There's no need for peacemaking if there is no conflict. I tell you, there are conflicts. But I hope that there, this is also a place where the gospel is preached, here in the pulpit, in the songs that we sing, in our conversations, in our prayer. That's what let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that leads to praising the Lord in word or in deed. You know, again, you know, for those who are new here, we have not perfected this. 
but we aspire to be. We aspire for these things. No, I hope that you are attracted to those things and not the wrong notions of what you know, the church should provide. I've heard this from someone, and, and not, this is not from, from Redcom QC. <laughs> you know, I have heard a pr- friend say, Attend tayo sa church na yun. Maganda yung upuan. Masarap matulog. True story. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I've also heard, you know, let's go to that church. It's convenient. Hindi hassle sa schedule ko. That's not from Redcom QC. <laughs> How sad that we have come to that. So I hope for those who are new here, what you see, you know, what you, what you experience are those three things that you know, we are abounding in love. Imperfect as we are, we are abounding in forgiveness and peacemaking. And we are abounding in the gospel in preaching, in singing, in our conversation, and in our prayer. And for the rest of us, what does this mean? You know, I hope that we will value Christ-honoring gatherings regularly. Christ-honoring gatherings regularly. And that means the Lord's Day celebration. You know, hold on to your seats because I'm going to say something offensive. <laughs> I hope that you will not tool for me. <laughs> you know, uh, this is especially true across the board. Weekly attendance in church has in, it's been in steady decline in the Philippines and everywhere. Maybe not in, um, in, in missionary areas uh, in 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 South Asia and in those places because Christianity is, is growing there. But for maybe in the West or more predominantly Christian nations, even in the Philippines, weekly attendance is in steady decline. So it's, it's just common to, to be part of a worship service celebration once or twice a month. You know, if that continues, we will produce a generation of Christians who think that the Lord's Day celebration is an option and not a necessity. So I hope that we, as a church, we will strive to be part of a weekly worship service. You know, that, that is a means of grace. You know, being part of a worship celebration is a means of grace that we miss out if we miss out the Lord's Day celebration. And if for some reason you cannot be part of, a local church, of your local church worship service because you're on business travel, because you are working somewhere, um, no, I, I encourage you, wherever you are, if you cannot be part of the worship service in, in this church, be part of a local worship service wherever you are. 
No, I have, I have been convicted by this, which is why, you know, in our travels now, when Julie and I travel, one of the itineraries we, I do, hindi ko sinasabi sa kanya explicitly, but she knows that I do it. I look at the place that we are staying, and, and I Google the churches that are around. And part of our itinerary is to attend worship service there if our travel falls on a Sunday. And two things happen when, when I do that. When, when I go to church that is not Breadcom QC, you know, I see things I like. And I say, you know, it would be nice to have that. But there's another thing happening. When I go to a local church uh, during travel or where, when, when I'm not here, I miss my church. I miss worshiping with the flock that God has called me to be part of. That I listen to the pastor, I listen to the songs, and I enjoy it, and I, I, I rejoice in hearing God's word. But in my heart, I'm saying, I wish I'm in my church right now. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to honor the Lord, we can commit to Christ-honoring gatherings. When we gather to here in, in our church, when God has called you elsewhere, when God has placed you in, you know, in a, in a company that is very open to Bible studies, do that. And I hope that, you know, love abounds in that gathering. I hope that the peace of Christ is ruling and let the gospel dwell in all of us. Let me just summarize. The, the three commitments that can change everything three commitments that can change everything. A commitment to Christ-centered perspective, a commitment to Christ-motivated holiness, and a commitment to Christ-honoring gatherings. Pastor, yung nagsulat naman yan, hindi ordinary person eh. He's not an ordinary person. He's the, the Apostle Paul. That's why he's saying those things. That's why he can commit to those things because he's a full-time guy. <laughs> he's a full-time pastor. He's a missionary. He's equipped. He, he is educated. He, he is very skilled. He is super talented. He is not ordinary. Just go back to your Bibles again in Colossians and just look very quickly in chapter 4. Look at the names in that chapter. In starting verse 7. You see the name Tychicus, who is described as a servant. You have a name called Onesimus, who's actually a slave, literally a slave. You have names like Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, 
the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And they have a Jesus in their crowd in verse 11. Jesus called Justus, Eustus. And they are called fellow workers in the kingdom of God. You have Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, and is struggling. And you have Luke, a doctor. And you have Demas. So you have people who are servants. You have people who are slaves. You have people who are actually prisoners with Paul. You have Jews in Mark. You have a doctor. You have someone who is struggling to pray for the church. That's, maybe that's all that he can give, just praying for the church. You know, these are not super apostles. These are not, you know, the Avengers. These are ordinary people changed by the gospel. And they made this commitment, ordinary commitments that can change everything in their life and in their community. Pastor, why will I pursue these commitments? What's in it for me? What's my motivation behind, you know, pursuing these commitments? Let me direct you to, you know, our Heidelberg Catechism. You know, Heidelberg Catechism is, you know, we do New City Catechism uh, at the start of our worship service. And New, New, New City Catechism is derived, one of the materials being used for the, from that catechism is based on this Heidelberg Catechism, which is in fifth, uh, 16th century. I really love question number one. If that's all we can remember from the Heidelberg Catechism, I can die happy. <laughs> what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I want us to see the rendering of Heidelberg Catechism. Because in New City, it's more summarized. Lang. What is your only comfort in life and in death? that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, both to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid all my sins with His precious blood, and He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And living for our Savior Jesus Christ means committing to a Christ-centered perspective, means committing to a Christ-motivated holiness, means committing to Christ-honoring gathering. And I will tell you, it's difficult. I, I told you, it's ordinary, but it's not easy. And there will, times, there, there will be times that we will fail. So what is our encouragement if we fail? 
And I will end with this. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am certain, I am sure 100% that God who began a good work in you, what you have is a good work from God, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Brothers and sisters, let's commit to these ordinary commitments. When we fail, let's remember that it's Jesus at work in us. When we fall seven times, we rise up eight. We do not quit. We do not quit the fight because when the final bell rings, it will declare Jesus as victorious with us. Let us pray. Father, thank you once again that we have the privilege to study through the book of Colossians this past few Sundays. We thank you for this beautiful message that Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Because you restore all things to yourself, we find hope, Lord God, in our broken world. And in our brokenness, Lord God, we can make these commitments because you are the one at work behind them. Lord, help us make these commitments. Help us commit, Lord God, to see things from your perspective, to fix our eyes on you, Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us, Lord God, fight sin, to fight for holiness, Help us, Lord, see that there is beauty in repentance, that the gospel calls us to turn away from sin. And because of you, Jesus, we can really turn away from sin. We are no longer slaves of our sin. Lord, encourage my brothers and sisters to see confession as your gift to us. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous and just to forgive us from all our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Lord, help us fight sin together, to fight for the holiness for one another. Help us, Lord God, see this as a community that is being renewed after the image of its creator that we are your bride that is being cleansed by the blood of the lamb and i pray lord god that in our gatherings that you will be honored you will be honored not because of our expertise or our our good programs or our system you will be honored when your love abounds in all of us you will be honored when there is forgiveness, when conflicts are resolved because of your peace, and when your gospel is proclaimed every single time. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us to, to not give up meeting together on a weekly basis, that when we are far from each other, we will remember one another in prayer, that we will, 
we will be encouraged, Lord God, to be part of a worship service every Lord's Day celebration. And I pray, Lord God, as we have heard the Heidelberg Catechism, that this bring comfort in our life, that we are not at our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of Him, because He has bought us from sin and from death, we wholeheartedly, willingly live for Him. We want to do this by Your grace, and we want to do this for Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.